0: We just live right now, man. It's going down, for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins.
1: On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking.
0: Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Brew Hoop podcast. Uh, after a, a couple week break here, we're finally back. The Bucks have just been too good for us to, you know, peel ourselves away from the TV and record. Things are just going too well for this team. So I think uh, I think we have a couple things to touch on today, but in large part, we're just going to be talking about how dang good the Milwaukee Bucks are right now. And as per usual, it's Adam Paris, your co managing editor of Brewhoop.com, and I'm joined by my my faithful companions, Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. Fellas, how are you doing on this wonderful day with the Bucks having the best record in the NBA?
2: I am fearful for my life, just in case Christian Wood kicks in my front door any minute now, uh, per instructions from Bud. But otherwise, uh, enjoyable basketball, so it's been been good good times lately.
0: Yep, can't complain, all is well. Shout out to the Wisconsin Kurd. Um six jerseys, and congrats on the win last night. That's all I got.
1: I forgot to watch the full footage of their curd eating contest so I didn't get a chance to see who won but uh I don't know would do you, are you guys big would you guys eat, be able to eat a lot of cheese curds like this cuz they were just eat, they weren't eating fried they were just squeaky ones right
2: Oh if that was the case yeah I think it would really uh it would depend on where we get in the cheese curds are they fried and what's the frying like you know what's what's their technique? Because like a Culver's cheese curd, those guys are generally pretty small. Whereas if you go to like some restaurants, they're sometimes ginormous. So I could put down a couple, but I'm not sure to the level of like a gentleman from like a Schwab or something like that. I'm sure <laughs> they got some, some
0: curd eating fanatics up there. Yeah. I was going to say, if I can also, if I get like some ranch on the side, then maybe I could go a while, but not squeaky. I, I would love squeaky, but no, I would not be able to sit and just eat
1: i the squeaky the squeaky curds too i really enjoyed them i had them all the time growing up uh and i've introduced them to some people out here in philadelphia i brought some back and they're freaked out by the squeak like they don't i try to tell them no that means it's like a really fresh curd that's why it tastes good that's the best part i know but they're they are too freaked out by the squeak uh for it to feel like it's a real cheese curd also very hard to get uh, good cheese curds on the east coast
2: did you tell them the secret was bubbler water
1: I, did, I didn't. Uh, I try not to dip too much into Midwestern parlance up here uh, in, in case I in case I get scolded. At my work at one point, they were starting to write my stupid Midwestern phrases up on the wall behind me. Uh, so, Shaming
2: you for where you're from? What kind yeah, of workplace yep. you, are you at?
0: <laughs> so, uh, Sounds so like, like a cool. hostile work environment situation. <laughs> right.
1: uh, they're nice enough. Uh, all right. So let, let's get into this this Bucks team though that obviously like we said best record in the NBA things are going really well for them they're coming off a win against Orlando 118 108 unfortunately I had a work event last night that ran really late so in full disclosure I missed the game and I'm planning on watching it either later today or tomorrow after that uh, Martin Luther King Day game against Dallas uh but you know Riley and Kyle what let's start with you Riley what what stood out for you from this game
2: I would say even from the first quarter on, it was almost all offensively Giannis and Eric led. Um, There was like a stretch of two or three minutes, maybe even longer, where possession after possession, it was walk it up the court, and then it was just a two-man game down the center between Giannis and Eric, um, which was interesting, and they kind of continued on, as you could see from the line. I think Eric ended up with like 30 points and Giannis 25 or something along those lines, Um, and Nobody else really did anything exceptional offensively, but those two did enough on their own just to kind of power the Bucks through. And then defensively, um, shout out to Brooke. I think he had six blocks. He's had 24 or 25 blocks in his past seven games. Um, and as Brian, our compatriot Brian, kind of posted earlier last week about how the defense operates around Brooke. I think last night was a pure example of it, how even in the drop, defense and pick and roll he's able to kind of move around and use his length to alter shots or even block shots straight up so I think it was a very typical Bucks win um, and it was a little bit doubtful in the third quarter but otherwise you know a joy to watch him kind of put the beat down for the most part
1: Kyle what did you pick out from it I was going to say though a few things that I noticed was
0: like the bench really didn't do much for the Bucs I mean DJ Wilson almost had a double double and that was probably the only noteworthy thing I think really just hit a three and he played probably a good chunk of the first half. George Hill was kind of around the court. Like there were guys that were there, but none of them really stuck out. Like, like I said, a couple of them hit a couple shots, but it wasn't really anything particular. And it was also more surprising just seeing, I mean, the Bucs took the lead in the first quarter and they never trailed after that. And it was one of those games where it was like, you had a comfortable victory. But every once in a while, Orlando would kind of just sneak up and go on a little mini run. And, you know, they bring the deficit down to eight or at one point it was like four. And I think in the fourth quarter, it got down to two. But that whole time, it was like every time Orlando would do that and walk, it would come back and score six or seven quick points. And like Riley said, a lot of it was Giannis and Eric Bledsoe focused. But Brogdon also had a couple drives. You know, he would go at Mobamba a few times. Uh, Chris Middleton, in the fourth quarter in particular, was, you know, he had a couple clutch baskets at the end. So, It was one of those comfortable but never like I could just stop tweeting or stop paying attention kind of games. It was still relatively interesting, which I guess that's a testament to how much Orlando's gotten better with a new coach. And even with their flaws, they still have guys that can get hot like Terrence Ross and Jonathan Simmons. So.
2: If I could just jump in there real quick, Um, just talking about Malcolm Brogdon, I agree that he also had a solid game. I think something that was interesting that we saw for sure last night and what kind of I think we've been seeing a lot lately is um, Brogdon will get the start, but then Sterling Brown will get rotated in for, you know, alongside the other starters in place of Brogdon. And then um, Brogdon would get thrown out there with the bench unit and kind of be the guy who keyed the offense. And I, I think I looked up the net ratings between those two lineups earlier this week, and there's a pretty big discrepancy, at least per NBA.com. I don't know how clean in the glass has it, but I think that's an, a fascinating little uh, fold, a little like strategy. I don't know how much Bud will continue to ride it or if it becomes something that's more pronounced as the year goes on, but um, just kind of something to note in terms of lineups that I think will be uh, something that's critical, even in the playoffs, depending on how we use Brogdon. So.
1: Yeah, I think it's. I, I mean, I think it's an interesting strategy. And we saw him pretty early on in the season. but wanted to get uh, Brogdon sort of like in there at the at the end of quarters and cycle in a wing. And that guy has pretty much rotated as the season gone on. We started how so I'd start with um, our beloved Dante Divincenzo, uh, who's now uh, basking with the herd uh, occasionally and then it was Pat Connaughton for a while and now of course it's been we've seen Sterling Brown sort of put a stranglehold on the on this role it's interesting to me that it was rarely ever Tony Snell uh, even though he sort of came in as the starter from last season and seemed like the guy that would fit there but Sterling Brown of course brings that sort of doggedness defensively that I think really lends a lot to this team so it's been cool to see him emerge one of the things that really stood out to me just looking briefly looking at the box score was the 31 to two fast break points and, and Milwaukee actually has done obviously we know how terrifying they can be in transition and they've done a great time great job of getting out and, and running quickly under Bud's new offense and it was in stark contrast to Orlando's uh slow it down Steve Clifford pace I guess
2: yeah, there were multiple possessions where even Marcus noticed it. Noted it on the broadcast where they might have had a you know even numbers advantage coming in fast break. But then I don't know if it was just mandated from Clifford or again if that's just a strategy that they go for. I don't know what their pace numbers are like, but there'd be multiple times where you know, can um, DJ Augustine would have the ball and he'd slow it down or whoever it would be. So I think that's a very deliberate thing which plays to Milwaukee's strengths. Obviously, just given the fact that. We do score a lot in fast break, but um, it might be just a coaching strategy. And if it's just developing players this year and see where it goes from there, but it is, I think that's purposeful.
1: Yeah. I think that'll be fascinating because theoretically, when I look at that team, they seem like someone who should, I mean, John Hammond is at the helm with Jeff Weltman, of course, and he created a team that had a bunch of length that would be able to be terrifying in transition. And so it, Theoretically, it seems like Orlando should become that team, but I, I don't know if Steve Clifford's going to want to adapt his offense to that. And I think you're right, Riley, that maybe in his first year he just wants to get the base principles down for a franchise that's um, just been sort of wandering in the wilderness for years.
2: And probably will continue to wander in the wilderness, to be honest. But you know, they're not our problem. We're Bucks fans, so it's whatever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Kyle. Anything? Uh, anything else uh, from that game you really want to note? Uh. I mean, the three-point shooting really wasn't there for Milwaukee, and that it's kind of been a weird
0: situation where it's like Milwaukee didn't hit a lot of threes. I think they were like 12 of 30. Yep. So, and they actually hit less threes in Orlando, but it was like the timing of the threes that Milwaukee hit always seemed to be at a big moment, or it was enough to get them up to a like a 10-point lead. And Giannis even hit a three to put Milwaukee up 10. It was like they were able to. It wasn't they didn't hit a lot of threes, but they hit them at the right moments. And I think Milwaukee winning the rebounding edge was important because, I mean, Vucevic is a big body, and he's someone that can get the rebounds. But I don't know. It was not It was a weird game where it's kind of like a ho-hum. This Bucs team is better than Orlando, and you're expecting them to win, and they did. So it's good to see that change of pace compared to – I mean, last year the Bucs probably would have lost that game just because Simmons would have hit every three possible. Terrence Ross would have hit every three. Milwaukee <sighs> would have just folded at the – pressure at the end of the game so i think it's just a testament how much improved that this team is that it's like even when orlando goes on a little run you know that walk going to be able to just you know get it together and close the game out
1: god i hate terrence ross so much i'm so so glad he hasn't been uh Seemingly as much the Bucs killer in Orlando that he was in Toronto. I mean, he was afraid of Giannis
0: when he was going for that layup and he knew Giannis was chasing him down. He kind of just like threw a circus style layup. It's like that was relatable. I would probably do the same thing. I'd just be like throwing it in the air and hope for the best. I'm not going to get blocked and put on ESPN for that.
2: Yeah, I definitely would have slowed down the the offense on that one and wait for everybody to set up. That would have been it for sure. Hey, coach, watch me slow down the team here. (laughs) Doing what you say, doing what you're saying here.
1: Um, yeah, and you were talking about winning that rebounding edge, just something because we talk a lot about how obviously the, these stats are going to correlate to the Bucks' significantly improved defensive rebounding percentage. But I was just looking quickly at cleaning the glass. And this is just an interesting note is that so they, they have this stat on, on putbacks points per so how many points did the other team score per 100 missed field goals or whatever. So last year, the Bucks were ranked, I have it here, they were ranked 29th in that category. So 20.5, the opponents got 20.5 points per 100 missed field goals. This year, they are first at 13.9, uh, so points per 100 missed field goals. So that's a pretty, that's like a, that's a really huge leap. And the team that's second, Utah, is like 0.7 points behind them or whatever this season. So uh, just to sort of illustrate the fact that we knew their defensive rebounding was significantly better, but this sort of gives a, a point value to it as well. So really great work there uh, on the Bucks being able to prevent, like you said, Kyle Vucevic and, and other Orlando players from, from taking advantage of that. Um, and, you know, speaking of uh, a team like the Orlando Magic that I think wishes they could have an all-star uh, and probably likely will have one in Vucevic, hopefully, uh, but certainly not through the fan vote. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the early returns on the all-star voting. So the final voting closes on Monday, January 21st. They'll be revealed on Thursday, January 24th on the usual TNT show. As most of you know, Giannis is leading uh, the Eastern conference in votes 3.6 million uh, as of their last returns on the ballots. Uh, Kyrie was second at 3.18 million. So but the thing I really want to talk about here is the fact that there's no other buck in the top 10 of fan voting uh, among guards or the front court. Uh, And I'll I'll just run. Oh, how about I, how about, how about this? So who do you guys think should potentially be in the top 10 of voting for front quarter guards from the box?
2: I would say Eric Bledsoe is probably the one guy who's most deserving. I'm not sure about Chris, just given his struggles, but if I was to choose one other guy on the team, it would probably be Eric
0: I would say blunts not well Bledsoe yes but probably Brook Lopez just because it seems like he is that like kind of goofy fan favorite dude that's throwing up from thirty feet so I would I wouldn't be I would expect him to get more votes than he currently has just because it's like you can easily make a little marketing thing and I mean how we've seen other players <coughs> Derek Rose um get a lot of votes for no particular reason
1: yeah so okay so we'll, let's run through the guard. I think we're in agreement that Eric Bledsoe would want to be there. I like Brooke Lopez as a potential fan favorite. So let's run through some of the guards and see who might have a deserving spot above him. So Kyrie Irving is number one. I think he probably deserves to be there. Dwayne Wade is number two. Um, I think we can all agree that Eric Bledsoe has had a better year than Dwayne Wade. So thank you, fans, for potentially getting Dwayne Wade this farewell tour spot.
0: One last time, baby. One last time. <laughs>
1: kyle's over there spamming he's 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 got the secret burner accounts doing it's it's double vote day for dwayne wade do it (laughs) uh all right kemba walker i don't know that one's a little tougher um because he's had a good year
2: i'm not mad at that um i think it's definitely different because he's like the lead guy in Mm -hmm. charlotte and charlotte's kind of struggled so um Based on fan votes, I understand. I would understand that more than Dwayne Wade just because Kemba's been, you know, red hot for a number of games and lots of highlights and et cetera. So I understand that more than Dwayne Wade.
1: Ben Simmons, I get he's really famous. Shoot a three. Game. Shoot yeah. a three. You don't get
2: a vote <laughs> if you don't shoot a three. I'm just saying.
1: That was hilarious. Did you guys saw his quote about how he was like, he was 100% going to pull up, but then he saw Jimmy got a little bit of space? It <laughs> was that a lot of crap. We all know about yeah. Don't lie to us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was hilarious um victor oladipo he's missed some time i don't know i feel like he's this is certainly like riding on the coattails of his huge improvement last year um
0: yeah I'd agree. And well, he's I'd, also I'd... the guy in indiana so like it's yeah. not surprising that
1: yeah kyle lowry i kind of get to I, I know he was out too but i like kyle lowry a lot i don't really have a whole lot of uh, issues with him being up. Trader. Well, Hey, what, hey you Just know kidding. how nice he is to the Bucks. He misses all of his shots when he faces <laughs> them. Really, really kind of him. Toronto uh,
2: Thon became a thing because of Kyle Lowry, so we yeah, it, he gets votes for that alone.
1: Exactly. Long yeah, yeah. No ill will. We want him. Uh, Zach Levine. <laughs> suck. Yeah. Someone from Chicago has to get votes. Uh, <sighs> nah. nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeremy Lin. I mean, come Come on. Uh, <laughs> Goran Dragić okay. I don't, I don't even I don't even, I don't even how long has Goran Dragić been out now I I guess he's got some he's probably got like some um sleeper cell agents back uh in Slovenia or wherever wherever he's from
2: He's getting the he's getting the Doncic pull right now the Doncic <laughs> Doncic pull uh, push from being Slovenian that's what's happening there
1: Yeah for sure uh it's kind of crazy that Bradley Beal is 10 considering what he's been doing lately. I kind of yeah, thought if he is anyone
0: pissed off.
1: It's Bradley Beal. Yeah. I think he is pissed off. It seems like when he plays, he seems really mad. Um, so, so I don't know. That's the list. I, I guess it's just disappointing to not see Eric Bledsoe get much higher, but I feel like, I, I think part of this obviously has to do with like, you need some national love too. And I mean, Eric Bledsoe, Andrew Sharp just wrote a nice article about him on, Sports Illustrated, but I, I wouldn't say like Eric Bledsoe is like a nationally known player very well. I mean, most people honestly probably know him for the just wanting to get out of Phoenix in the salon tweet.
2: Yeah, there's only so far you can ride the old salon tweet to a all-star appearance. <laughs> That's not going to push you over the edge. And I think, you know, I, I think part of it too is, you know, even just looking at his per 36-minute output, it's been super consistent pretty much across the board. Like he has more assists, slightly fewer points, but he's he's having like an Eric Bledsoe season, but slightly more so. So I'm not sure if that alone is enough without, you know, some sort of crazy scoring eruptions for him to get over the edge, just because, you know, if we everybody hates Milwaukee, bro. Everybody knows everybody hates <laughs> Milwaukee. So you got kind of that angle. And then, you know, he's, he's not the lead guy. He's kind of sometimes the third option depending. So I think that kind of all contributes to it.
1: Yeah. I think the other thing is that I, I, I mean, I think his biggest contribution is on defense. I think he, he sets the tone a lot of the time. And that's just something that, unless you're watching the Bucks night tonight, you're just not going to notice that stuff or even yeah. know about it. Uh, okay, all right. So we're all sufficiently angry about that. Um, let's talk Ur. about. Let's <laughs> talk about the, the front court is a lot more crowded. I'm not uh, as surprised that Chris wouldn't slip in. I was actually, I was, I was a little surprised to hear. Uh, I think Arnovitz and and Low on their podcast together kind of either both came to consensus that they kind of wanted to slip Middleton. Into the front court, I couldn't quite tell where they landed on it at the end, but they were both sort of beating the drum for him a little bit. But in the front court, it's Giannis, number one, obviously. Kawhi's number two. That makes sense. Joel Embiid is three. Yeah, I mean, he's been freaking fantastic. Uh, Jason Tatum, four. Yeah. I the mid range
2: king. He took yeah. the mid range <laughs> away from Chris. So that's got to be stuck in Chris's craw for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good point. All right. So we'll have Chris steaming about that. Jimmy Butler is 5th. I I like every I like the people who are like Jimmy Butler shouldn't get an all-star selection just cuz he's been uh just pain was, in the like butt. destroyed. Yeah, pain in been the butt. Difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh he's been a difficult personality. Blake Griffin is 6th. I I kind of can't cool with that. He's like Detroit's guy. I think like you guys talked about earlier. Um right. I mean he's he's kind of the big guy for them and he's he's been good for them.
2: Yeah, so much of the starter voting is predicated upon are you the lead guy for the most part, or unless you're Dwayne Wade or Vince Carter, who we're about to get to if it's like a farewell tour kind of bump or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, uh, Vince Carter, number seven. Um, Vince Carter, number seven. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That's Pascal Siakam, number eight. Uh, And then Gordon Hayward and Al Horford rounding out the top 10 at nine and 10. Um, I don't know, I have a hard time like I guess it's just so the the interesting thing to me is it's like okay Toronto has three players in the top ten in voting could Milwaukee, and we've seen I don't know we've seen Milwaukee before like get behind the Brewers and like do a crazy good job voting for these guys so I guess it was a it's a little disheartening to not see like a, a push this season when the Bucks are having such a great year and not at least at least even just see like Eric Bledsoe or Chris Middleton. Or even like a like a like you said, like a fan favorite funny one like Brooke Lopez, like you said, Kyle, pushing them into the top ten.
0: I think it's well, and it's also weird with the front court because it's like Giannis, Kawhi, and Embiid have over two million votes, and then it just drops significantly down to Tatum, who doesn't even have a million. So it's like the top three, it's like yeah, they get all the votes and it just significantly drops. So the fact that Chris isn't even getting up there is kind of concerning. But I mean he's ha- he's definitely better than Gordon Hayward. I guess Siakam has a strong cult following in Toronto is what I've learned. Vince Carter's getting the Dwayne Wade one last time, you know, notable feature. Um, So it's just – it is kind of frustrating because, yeah, we've seen the Brewers go ham on it. I mean, when they got Jesus Aguilar in the All-Star game, that was a prime example of it. But, I mean, it's not like the Bucks have really – push that strongly I feel like as much this year with like trying to get all-star votes for players like it seems like the last couple of years they would try and get like Chris, Jabari, and Giannis all in the all-star game this year kind of like well we know Giannis is gonna get it so we're not as worried and we'll still like push for him it's, I haven't really seen that many tweets for you know Middleton or Bledsoe or Brogdon or Lopez so it's like I mean Milwaukee could possibly do a better job at pushing it and who knows maybe next year they'll take that into consideration
2: I think it's just the early returns are just another example of how inherently broken fan voting is. Um, And I think Kyle can correct me, but I believe um, the actual selection of the starters comes down to a mix of fan voting, media voting, and player voting. So um, I'm not sure how much that'll change things, but I think it's just another indication that if you're gonna involve the fans, there's a chance for wacky stuff or uninformed, like, oh, big name voting. So I'm not too upset about it just because this is like how fan voting works, unfortunately.
1: So uh, the other well, thing that I was. Gonna have... oh.
0: No, go ahead, go. I was just going to make a joke on how you will have a NHL John Scott situation, also with sole fan voting. So the fact that the media and other players have a consideration. It I got helps so close me. with Zaza. So close with Zaza. With two years ago. <laughs> anyone that heard the Radio Lab podcast on the John Scott um, All Star controversy, it's
1: pretty good. So that if anyone doesn't get my joke, just listen to that podcast. <laughs> Yeah, listen to that, but then go uh, subscribe and review us on iTunes as well. Um, five stars. please, stars, yes, five stars, please yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so then the other thing that I was thinking about was that because the, the thing, the analog, this has kind of been a little bit Bud has talked about this before in a couple of recent comp, you know, pregame interviews or whatever, is talking about his 2015 team, and oh, I know Frank and Eric have talked about this on Locked on Box, and talking about the cohesiveness of, of, of that unit, and it was interesting. I was reading this article uh, just about how they were like, yeah, I mean, we we all should have to go. Like, we all should be in this team. Like, we're, we're a team. We're, this is a team effort, and that's how we make this whole thing go. Um, and then it's kind of funny to just compare that to the books, where it's like, um, yeah, we're definitely a team. requires the team to do this, but uh, this is 100% Giannis' team. But it's it's clear from the fan voting. Uh, it's obvious to all of us who are watching it, it's definitely Giannis' team. But when you looked at that 2015 All-Star team that hilariously had four Hawks on it, The only starter um, that, uh, you know, they didn't even have one starter, you know, like they didn't have one person win the fan vote uh, with the media. So that team, the stars were John Wall, LeBron James, Kyle Lowry, Pogasaw, Carmelo Anthony. And so then the reserves were Al Horford, Chris Bosh, Paul Millsap, Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, Jeff Teague, Kyrie Irving, and then Kyle Corfer, who replaced Dwayne Wade when he was hurt. So... All of basically. Okay, okay, <laughs> hold on, hold on. How the hell was Paul Gasol a starter?
2: I think that was when he was in Chicago, right? Like that yeah. was like for Chicago That's year still, where still, still. How the hell he, was he regularly a put up thirty-five points and twenty-six <laughs> rebounds every time they played the Bucs. It was the most infuriating thing ever. So I understand where he coming from there.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I guess my point is that the Bucks might get vindicated here when it comes to the coaching vote. So for all the reserves, basically each coach selects two guards, three front court players and two wild cards um, with each player select ranked in order of preference in the category. So um, in that regard, I mean, when you're looking at the guards, so I guess it's if Dwayne way gets in, it's going to kind of stink because then each coach only gets to select two guards. Uh, so they might pick Kemba and Beal uh, and then may, I, I I think like at least maybe Bledsoe or Middleton might make it in as a, a wild card or at least in the reserves in some way. Because I feel like I feel like coaches also respect like an incredibly good coaching job, which is part of the reason Atlanta had so many players in that year. So I feel like so, at least one of those bucks is going to slip in as a reserve.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I wouldn't be I, I doubt two of them will get him, but I bet one of them
0: will get in one way or the other. I think two of them will get it.
1: Whoa, I like that. I like uh, I like that a lot. Um, okay, so hopefully, you know, we'll hear the the starter thing. That'll be done. We can we can give up and but we can just wait until Giannis gets to select the teams and we get to see him on that nationally televised thing. I'm glad Giannis wasn't the captain last year when it wasn't televised. I'm glad he is this year when it will be because uh, that should be a lot of fun.
2: Do we feel strongly whether or not we want Bud to be the coach, or do we care the coach for the All Star game? I should say because I think it's the top coach in each conference, right?
1: I, ca- uh, I can't I remember. So. I can't remember if it was that or who did the, who made it to like the championship game the last year.
2: Now, didn't Dwayne Casey uh, coach it last year? I thought either way, it, one way or the other, I, I don't feel strongly about it.
1: Just, uh, I, just want yeah, to see if anybody had that. a hot take on it. <laughs> I want uh Josh Longstaff to coach.
2: <laughs> what about, uh, what about coach Brady down in the G league? Let's just throw him in as a, uh, whatever, who cares? Just throw him out there. Give him some experience some reps.
1: Uh, okay. All right. Um, all right. So the, so that's all star stuff. We'll find out the, all the starters soon and hopefully some bucks slip in as reserves. So the next thing I want to talk about is a little bit of the, I mean, the bucks. things have been going incredibly well for the bucks. Uh, they're obviously on a roll now after that loss to Washington, they've just kind of been obliterating teams, particularly that the Memphis game obviously wasn't, wasn't close at all. And then the Miami game was just complete sheer and utter destruction. Uh, so a couple of things that have sort of been out in the ether that some sometimes people have been talking about is is the Bucks three point percentage dropping a little bit, and it really hasn't dropped too precipitously. So I just I looked at these stats from the beginning of the season to November 30th. They were 13th in the league in three point percentage, 35.8%. Second in raw attempts per game, 40.5 attempts per game. From December December 1st and on, they're 24th in three point percentage, but they're only down to 34.3%. So not too drastic fourth in attempts, 36, um, and then fourth in attempts um, per game, 36.1 attempts per game. Uh, have you guys noticed any sort of notable difference in how the the team seems to be playing or some of its shot selection at all? What about you, Riley?
2: Not particularly. I think the one guy that we can kind of rope around, and again, this is you know probably unfair to him, but I think Chris would probably be the obvious guy that kind of jumps out like, oh, he's not, you know, taking as many threes um and when he first started this season i think it was like averaging like eight nine attempts from three it was like crazy how many threes he was shooting up and he was shooting a super high percentage so i think that helped elevate it and then ever since like the knicks game and his kind of trouble in december and i'm not sure how much of it is like again mandated because there was that controversy like oh did bud tell him he can take mid-rangers but i think he's (laughs) kind of uh fallen back a little bit into taking mid-range, tough mid-range shots, which we love them for, but also drives everybody crazy. And I don't know how much that's deflated, just overall three-point attempt numbers. But otherwise, it doesn't seem like the team is playing radically different. I think um, I'd like to look at Eric Bledsoe's attempt numbers and like what kind of shots he's taking, because it feels like he's doing a lot more on the inside than he was at the start of the season. And he also has a tendency to get the ball wide open and wait like four seconds before actually taking the shot. So uh, that's an interesting little fold as well, but otherwise it doesn't feel like the team's playing radically differently. And that's kind of borne out in the actual like statistical profile and the ranking of the team offensively as well.
1: Yeah. I guess the thing that's kind of stood out to me, Kyle, is that, you know, obviously the statistics tell a little bit different story, but anecdotally it feels like there's certainly been games where the bucks haven't been shooting as many threes or, making as many threes and instead they've found other ways to win. What's it, what's impressed you about how they've been able to sort of be a little mercurial in that sense offensively?
0: Well, I was definitely going to say it seems like, yeah, they haven't been able to hit threes. I mean, it seems like they're still shooting them. It's just they're not hitting them. But at the same time, it's – I feel like especially with Bledsoe, Giannis, and even Brogdon, they've just been able to get to the rim a lot easier now because I think teams have to take into account that Brook Lopez is going to shoot it from 30 feet out – and even though Chris is not hitting his shots, he's still a threat that if you leave him open, you uh, you assume he's going to make it. And I think that's helping where guys like Tony Snell and Sterling Brown, like they're not really going to go to the hoop. They're just going to wait around the perimeter and take that shot. So I feel like at least now the points of the paint have increased, and that's what it just seems like. And it seems like they're also playing at a slower pace. I could be completely wrong. It just seems like the game's going a little bit slower. They're not running as much just because – you know, maybe teams are trying to get back on defense as much as they can at, or that because they're not taking shots at a quicker rate, that the pace seems a little slower. So I think more points in the paint combined with a slower pace is making Milwaukee seem like offensively they're not playing as well, even though they're still one of the best offenses in the league.
1: All right, so I pulled up some stats from uh, – I was curious about this. Let's. I'll let each of you take a guess. How many times do you think a Bucks opponent – made more threes than the Bucks made.
2: We've played f- how many games now? Forty I can't remember the number. I would say maybe nineteen times.
1: Yeah, we've played forty five games. Okay,
2: I'd say nineteen I'd say 20, times. I say
1: 26. twenty-six. I'm going high. Interesting. Okay, so it's between you two. So it's twenty two times I counted an opponent made more threes than the Bucks did in a game. What do you what do you think their record is in that?
2: Uh I would say fifteen and seven.
0: Um, I think it's going to be, uh, wait, Riley's at 15 and seven.
2: Yeah. You can say 22 and oh, it's fine.
0: (laughs) No, it's not. I'd say 13 and nine. All right. You guys are close. So it's 14 and eight
1: in those games.
2: (laughs) We're on a wavelength. Kyle. Yeah.
1: yeah, That's kind (laughs) of creepy. Um, I was actually (laughs) hoping you'd both be way more off, but, uh, that's okay. Um, so they're 14 and eight in those games. And then I counted four times. They've tied the amount. Um same month than an opponent made. so obviously we know they give up a lot of three pointers to other teams, but I also thought i I mean some of them were like the other team made like one more three than them. Uh, but you know, it was an interesting it was interesting looking at their wins and losses, just like the ones because I mean clearly I mean, they only have twelve losses or whatever on the year. so eight of those the opponent made more threes than they did. a little bit of correlation there. Uh, we've seen some hot shooting nights from opponent from other teams, but you know, I, I mean, some of the games where an opponent made more threes than them like that, uh, like the, I mean, the Houston game, they, they shot, they made way more threes than the Bucs uh, and, but that was still like a really quality victory. And I think that was sort of the standout for me of a, of a game where it was clear like the Bucks could win in multiple ways. Like I have a, my, my boss is a Houston Rockets fan and he was like, yeah, I figured if we were just going to keep going off like that, uh, we would win. But I mean, the Bucks were just able to, to take it to them down low, take it to, Capella or draw Capella out. Um and even with you know, not that many three pointers made in comparison to the Rockets who, you know, chucked them up like they were going out of style. Uh, and they're clearly not. Um, it was it was really impressive to me. That win really that win has really stood out to me above above a lot of the other ones recently, especially with James Harden still being uh, you know, as much of a fireball as he is. But the the Bucks' ability to sort of make him miss at the end of the game was was really impressive.
2: I think it's a testament to like just how important Giannis is, especially in this five out offense, where like once you get to the playoffs, like yes, there's a danger in giving up a ton of threes, but you know, we even saw it, you know, with the Rockets last year where they had a super cold shooting night and that was all she wrote. Whereas, you know, even if the Bucks have a cold shooting night, it's not like this is the entire offense is almost completely predicated upon, you know, just threes and we're just gonna get it that way and then occasionally from the basket. If we need somebody to break an offensive spell, it just Giannis's sheer ability within the paint or whatever however many guys they throw at him. And then even then that opens up the offense even further. So I think it's a huge testament to how effective the system is and how little deviation there needs to be to find success. And we'll we'll kind of see whether that bears out over like a seven-game series. But I think that's going to be a huge tool to kind of break down opponents that maybe are a little more reliant on, like, okay, we're just going to get hot tonight. And if we get hot tonight, we're going to win. So I think it's it's nice to have kind of multiple approaches.
1: Isn't it crazy? We're like two years removed from Michael Beasley being like the guy who would do that. Like we needed him to, to like break down a defense cause we were having trouble scoring. That's nuts. Yeah. To
2: me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy how, and again, it's how much better is the bench? Like it's, just, it's so, it's so wild that just guys, either guys we brought in or, just you know, somehow, some way people kind of developing have been such a huge plus just for the bench. And we got killed a lot in you know, last year's playoffs when we had to go to the bench unit and maybe that'll be the case again this year, but the the depth is wild that we're able to kind of continue on and mix and match and still continue to crush opponents. So it, it is crazy.
1: And I mean, I think you made such a, it's such a salient point, Riley, is that, I mean, in the, in the playoffs, you, you saw it. I mean, Houston missed what it was at 27 straight threes. Like they're going to get cold and like the Bucks are going to keep shooting those threes for sure. But, You know, they'll have nights where they only shoot 30 or whatever, just like they did against Orlando. And it's so important to have a a way to have easy offense to be able to score when your shot just isn't falling from outside. Because you know uh, what shot doesn't typically get that cold? Uh, A dunk. Uh, You you don't (laughs) want to get cold from the dunk. Uh, (laughs) You would hope not, at least. Yeah. So, fingers crossed. I hope I didn't jinx him. Because Clint Capella was cold from the dunk, I guess, that night for the Rockets. Because he... Wow, he was having some tough luck down there. Uh, yeah, this so just—it's
0: the funny. difference. Sorry, go cow. Well, as I say, it's kind of funny. Like a lot
1: of the games that the other team scored
0: more threes than the Bucks, it was a outlier historical performance. Like the Boston game at the beginning of the year, Washington yeah. this past week. Like a lot of the games that the Bucks lost, where they didn't hit as many threes, is because the other team was just shooting ridiculous. Like I still go back to that Knicks game that went into overtime, and it seemed like every crappy shooter was somehow hitting like four of six and three of five. And I mean, what Noah Vonley had like three threes or something it's like this is this doesn't happen or it shouldn't happen enough where if the team's going to have a record night it happened against the Bucks. so i think that's why i'm not as concerned if another team hits more threes in the bucks because it's like yeah you can have your outlier performance but kind of like what you said adam you you can't stop a dunk you can't stop you know like give me layups for brogdon like it's just not gonna happen
2: then you throw in dj wilson out there and it's it's game over at that point you know it's that's a game breaker (laughs)
1: uh, <laughs> or not? <laughs> yeah, no, nobody it's else told so really no. strongly about that <laughs> hey, one. Never mind. Hey, hey, you know that he's still working on that part of his game. I'll give him some time. Here's something else that, that was stood out to me, and it's just because it's there was that, and I hate that it got to me that dumb, annoying tweet about James Harden with the weird stat about like his percentage of drives per game that didn't even count the fact that you don't to shoot in those drives or whatever, and the free throw percentage that get that he gets. I, Bucks Twitter will know it. But if you look at the Bucks, I mean, the fact that they are taking forty-one point two percent of the shots at the rim, which is crazy, and then thirty-eight point six percent of their shots from three. From three, that's the second highest rate. From at the rim, that's the third highest rate. That is crazy, crazy efficient. The exact formula that you want for a team uh, that's going to score efficiently and effectively. Uh, but I guess the the main point with the the. You know, you know, percentage of shots at the rim that I want to bring up is the fact that the Bucks are also... Sorry, I had to scroll down really, really far to get there. Um, 19th in free-throw rate in the league, which is not great, but it was also kind of interesting because like Atlanta and the Lakers are the two teams above the Bucks in terms of percentage of shots that they take at the rim. And if you look at them, they're even worse in terms of free-throw rate. So the Atlantas ranked 20th at 18.8. And then LA is all the way down at 24th. Um, so I was just like thinking about that in terms of the amount of times the the bucks take shots at the rim. And um, you know, I think some of that's probably a little partially due to Malcolm Brogdon who doesn't draw that many fouls. He kind of just sort of flicks shots up and is a, able to avoid defenders, which kudos to him. I mean, I kind of wish he was able to go finish more effectively into contact and, and get those because he rarely ever misses from the free throw line. But I just thought that was an, that was an interesting stat and an addendum to that conversation. That's continued. Yeah. I
2: think of all the guys who like played down low is Giannis really the only guy that fights through contact regularly. And we can complain about his whistle, which is, you know, he got a favorable, favorable whistle for like the first time ever against Orlando last night. But um, yeah, his whistle is trash. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I,
1: his his started, it's starting to get like to like old man shouting at cloud. Yeah. <laughs> I mean.
2: yeah, I think it'll come eventually, so I'm not too worried about it, but just to your larger point, I'm not sure how many guys who take a lot of you know close range shots, and I think I was looking through there's like six or seven guys, maybe not including Christian Wood and Jalen Morris, who take thirty percent or more of their shots from three <laughs> feet and in, but all the guys on that list, whether it be Malcolm or urson Eric Eric a little bit, he plays through contact a little bit more, but you know for the most part, a lot of the guys aren't brooding brute forcing their way through so I, it kind of bears its <laughs> bears its way out i guess in my opinion
1: sorry i like the idea of them brooding, brooding, <laughs> they're, brooding
2: they're brooding they're <laughs> brooding their way like how dare you be in my their way, way.
1: <laughs> that's like um yeah i, I was gonna say yeah because it's like if uh if brooke lopez is ever taking a shot in there it's mostly just him doing like some crazy dunk and no one wants to stand in his way uh when he's getting close to the rim
2: or he's doing like a behind, like he's turned, his back is to the basket, and he just like grandma shots it from like beneath the legs, and then he falls over and makes it. He, he's the circus shot maestro on this team for sure.
1: Yeah, he's definitely, I'm really excited to see him take Chris's place in terms of uh, just working ISO from the elbow and like right down there in the paint and working his, his masterful spin around, turnarounds. Uh, okay, I had one other stat that I just wanted to bring up to you guys, and this is not, uh, this is not always super representative of where the heck did it go? All right. Uh, okay. So the main point is I want to talk about the Bucks bench, which you brought up earlier, Riley, uh, and how effective it has been at being able to plug and play and mesh with just about everyone on the roster. Uh, and, and the thing that I was curious about is, you know, I think there's always sort of that, that, you know, uh, elephant in the room of how is it going to perform into the playoffs? So what is it about that this sort of mix of, of, of either whether it's you know good wing players, or it's the ability to switch and uh, work effectively defensively, what do you think it is about this bench unit, Kyle, that, that makes it mesh so well in, in Bud's unit and, and with all of the starters?
0: I think it's just the ability that they fit around a couple of the starters, whether it's Giannis where they can stand out on the perimeter, or if you have like blood. So and Brogdon where, you know, you can still go out on the perimeter, but you can set a screen and both of them are able to get to the rim with such ease. And I think it just helps that other than Ursa, they're all versatile where they can play multiple positions and they can guard multiple positions. And they're just able to like interchange seamlessly with some of the other players. So I think that's a big component of it and just the improvement and utilization in general. I mean, again, DJ Wilson, you know, we thought he was a lost cause, and now he's one of the first guys off the bench and he's playing pretty much what we expected Ursan to do at the beginning of the season. While, you know, you have Sterling Brown, who took a while to get some playing time, he's coming in and knocking every corner three possible. Tony Snell's still consistently hitting around 40% from three. George Hill has come to the lineup and he's able to play off of either guard. So it's like you see a lot of these guys are able to just fit in so well and they can just come in without any issues. And it's not like you have to completely re-transform the offense. They can just jump in whenever and play the role that they need to. So what do you,
1: so I was, this, I got the stat pulled up. I was interested in doing,
0: I was going to wonder,
2: did, I was like, what,
1: what stat did you have? <laughs>
0: because you I, yeah, I was, was up, waiting okay. for it, but I was like, uh oh, screw it. I'm just going to keep going.
1: No, I need, <laughs> yeah. I needed you to fill while I went and found it. Uh, So what do you guys think the Bucks bench is in terms of um points per game? Where do you think it's ranked in the league? Hmm.
0: Uh, I mean, I don't feel like it's that high because it's not like they have like a high scoring guy off the bench, you know, like a Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford where they can get like 20 points. So I'd say they're probably closer to like twenty. 20
1: I, was gonna say,
2: I was gonna say 17. Please tell me it's eighteen and a half.
1: Come on. <laughs> no, they're actually twenty-sixth. Oh, so, oh,
2: okay.
1: <laughs> they're actually even a little lower. Uh, and I, I mean, I when you think about it, it starts to make sense. Cause you guys both were on the on on the on the nose with your theory. you know, theory behind it is that the bucks aren't, you know, the bench doesn't score a whole lot of points. They just seem to sort of fit in and and make shots when needed. I mean, you just, last night was a perfect example. That was a little starter heavy, but I mean, you have DJ Wilson scoring eight points, maybe one guy gets to like, or two guys get to like 11. Uh, I mean, Sterling Brown had like 13 points the other night and it was like a coronation with his, uh, his career high or whatever. So I, you know, I think, I think that's the fascinating part about it is that this, the bench unit is so, uh, I think that's one. Maybe what you know. I I know we're missing. We kind of are missing like a guy like that microwave scorer like you talked about, Kyle, like a Lou Williams or whatever. And maybe that's something one that would be a lot really beneficial in the playoffs. But I mean, at this point, I think there's something to be said for all of the Bucks bench players essentially knowing their role, not wanting, not feeling like they need any shots at all, not even feeling like they need minutes when it comes to guys like you know Pat Connaughton or I, I guess not Christian Wood, but. Um, basically, you know, everyone else, it seems like they all are incredibly, um, content with just knowing their role and just getting the shots that come to them within the offensive flow.
2: I think it helps so much that a lot of the guys are either super young, unproven, or like, you know, they already got paid, whether it be Tony Snell. I mean, I don't see Tony Snell ever causing a ruckus about anything, but, um, I I think it's kind of that going on where they don't need to prove themselves in order to like get a contract or something along those lines. And then also um, like who we were talking about before, where like they would rotate in Eric or rotate in Malcolm to kind of be out there with a couple of bench players. And even when Giannis isn't out there, the offense kind of then revolves, okay, this starter, he's going to be the guy who kind of leads the way everybody else kind of go out to the perimeter or occasionally move in or play a little bit of a two man game, but otherwise that guy is going to run things. So I think that also has an impact on it. Um, And I think it's effective because you're not asking guys to do too much outside of their role. And so you're not overloading them or, you know, causing problems with, you know, we're really reliant on this guy to come in off the bench and save us. So I, th- I think it's also part of like just the lineups and how many minutes, Bud is getting, getting everybody.
1: Yeah. When you talk about the deep bench that this team has, I, I think that is a perfect way to transition into sort of our last, last bit here is the potential lack of, action at the deadline or even trying to look for buyout candidates on the market. I mean, typically buyout candidates don't even provide that much benefit or, or value. I think people are overrating the value of a buyout candidate just basically because Marco Bellinelli and Ursanilia Eliasovic did so well last year. It's, <laughs> it's
2: so crazy. Crazy.
1: It's crazy. Last
2: year was like the year's like, Oh my God, you can a buyout player. You get them. It's a championship making uh difference. It's a, it was <laughs> really wild that it was just a like three month period where the buyout player market was the end all be all.
1: It's cra- it crazy because literally almost all of the time, the media before that was like, yeah, I don't know if you guys know this, but by all, players typically don't do much at all. They never move the needle. Um, so that was, that's uh, disappointing. But I guess, Kyle, I don't see this team really even making move. They don't have that many things that they would possibly move. I mean, Jason Smith's salary could get aggregated or something, but the roster is full uh christian wood is is you know steaming just ready to make an impact in the league but do you really see this team even like looking on the buyout market for some sort of player that they could get? not really I mean I don't know
0: many good players are going to be on the buyout market besides maybe joint Denman and Robin Lopez and it's like does Milwaukee really need either guy probably not I, I I just don't see that many moves this year. It seems like last year a lot of players were going to teams that they expected to be competitive and then they weren't and then they were like well we could just buy you out and just be done with this well this year it's kind of seems like all the teams that were supposed to be good are relatively good besides maybe minnesota and all the teams that were bad are bad so it's kind of going to be an interesting mix so i don't think there's going to be much movement at least from milwaukee i mean you could see a team like philly or houston try and jump in and get those couple pieces but I think for the Bucks and Raptors and Celtics, like, no, it's not going to be, it's going to be really quiet for them.
2: I would uh, agree with that. And I think also part of it too is a lot of the bio guys in years past would be like, okay, we're the Atlanta Hawks. And so we kind of given it a go, but our season's over. If we can trade this guy, great. Otherwise, get out of here so we can lose some more games and give young guys minutes. But now that lottery odds have been kind of shifted a little bit and you don't need to be absolutely awful to have decent odds at a high pick, um, I'm not sure how much if there's less incentive for teams to even buy guys out or just leave them like, ah, oh, whatever, like we'll win a couple of games, but it's not the end of the world. So I think that's going to impact it as well. So, but I, I agree that there's probably nobody, you know, no big difference maker. Who's going to be on the buyout market that will make a, a huge impact here in Milwaukee, given how deep the team is generally.
1: Yeah. And obviously this team already made, I would say the big, the big trade they're probably going to make this year, getting rid of jettisoning Henson and Della Vadova and getting back George Hill, his expiring contract and Jason Smith. So, I'm not expecting to see a whole lot of action leading up to the deadline. But one guy who is seeing some action is Christian Wood in the G League. And, Riley, I'm just going to clear the floor for you to talk about his uh, – <laughs> I know you said he might be kicking at your door. So if he's not inside yet, I'll, 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 I'll let you speak a little bit to uh, how excited he seems to be to play.
2: It's. Uh, I think I just heard some pounding at the door. So if, <laughs> if, if I just cut off, it's not my Wi-Fi. It's because Christian Wood just decimated me. No, it's uh, – I think – so for those who don't know, Christian tweeted last night after the herd game or the curd game, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> that uh
0: No, it was only the herd game.
2: It was only the herd, okay, never mind. So he tweeted yeah. last night that before he had been last assigned to the to the herd, uh coach Bud had told him to pretty much stay ready and this time was coming essentially. So um I think it's probably more of a uh a nod to like how good Bud is at like keeping contact with these guys even on the like obviously he he's not but is not uh oblivious to the fact that christian wood would really really like to play and i don't know if like jason kidd would have been the greatest at like handling that kind of personality um but i I think it's i'm not sure if there's really much of a place right now just given the way the team is playing for christian wood because you know what is his role even on the end of the bench or like at the end of the rotation but he's been just decimating people in the g league so i think if anything, uh, props to Bud for keeping in touch with this player, making sure, hey, you know, you're getting a lot of time in the G League. Yes, I know you're upset that you're not getting a ton of time up here, but, you know, stay ready, be ready, that kind of thing. So um, I'm not sure if we'll ever see a lot of Christian Wood Minutes this year, barring injury, which may still happen, but he's excited, and I'm happy that we've moved on from uh, veil- thinly veiled sub <laughs> about not getting time with the Bucks to, like, oh, I'm just going to go and kill everybody in the G League and wait for my time, so...
1: Yeah, I was. Gl- I'm glad a little bit of the passive aggressiveness has uh, has left the tweets, and we just got a, a little more straightforward one, even if it is. Uh, I so it-
2: now it's just overly aggressive. Now it's just straight up aggressive.
1: <laughs> I envision it, it's just like such silly coach because like he's just like out the door, and he's like, "Hey, Christian, stay ready," <laughs> and that was it. And then Christian said to get on the dang boss up to Oshkosh. <laughs> but uh you know what good for bud good for bud, coach lear uh all right the last thing let's talk about is before we look ahead and we do a, a very brief Dante's inferno yeah. is uh <laughs> yes. bonzi uh bonzi colson uh is a new two-way player for the bucks they got rid of Jalen morris rip you did really well in that one game where you played over sterling brown and we all got mad um wait who's this we i don't remember getting mad about this Sorry, uh, sorry, uh, just me. Um, uh, okay. Bonzi- <laughs> so Bonzi Colson was—he's uh, like a six-five guy with a, a decent wingspan out of Notre Dame. He was a preseason All-American his senior year, but um, had a foot injury, so his season was kind of cut short by that. Uh, he's been spending time, basically, with—I uh, believe it was the Canton Charge. Um, you know, some time down in the G League, and he seems like a—you know—a a decent type of wing, like the same kind of guy that the Bucks have. And bringing in to sort of fill these two-way contracts, um, you know, in the post Bronson Koenig era, era is uh, these, these wings that can, you know, I guess they also have Trayvon Duvall, but uh, you know, Colson seems interesting. He's a fascinating person because he would play center at Notre Dame, even though he was only six, five, uh, which was a really interesting uh, positional uh, capability for him. But you know, our our guy, Dakota Schmidt, who uh, helps out at Brew Hoop and writes over at Ridiculous Upside, seems to like him, says he has some decent defensive ability, uh, can hit the three decently well. Um, he seems to be stroking pretty well in the G League after some okay season shooting at Notre Dame. So, I don't know, Kyle, anything super excite you about Bonzi Colson
0: I mean, he seems like a guy that kind of like with Trayvon Duvall, where he has pedigree and he has – that kind of following where it's like he you knew he was like a good player at some point and this is a matter of will that translate to the bucks roster and if it does like what happens after that so i think that's going to be the interesting part about it is he's someone that again was a preseason all-american he seems to have fit in with the herd pretty well he's already gotten off and had a couple of good scoring nights um i can pull up the stats later but it, he's just someone that's like if he becomes, it's a low risk, high reward kind of guy. Where if he comes in and plays well, sweet. If he doesn't, all right, you, you know, bring in the next two way guy. So, kind of fits the mold of all like Trayvon devolve having the pedigree. But I don't think he's going to get much playing time in Milwaukee, and he'll just like ride it out with the herd for a while.
1: Yeah, that's kind of been the way these two way contracts are going. It's tough for me to get super excited about any of these guys. I mean, I mean, at least it's like a guy that people seem to like. That's about all I can all I can say for it. It's better that than someone who people are like, "What the heck are you doing with your two way contract?" So the Bucks have really seemed to be utilizing those pretty well um, since those first two uh, selections. All right, let's do a really quick uh, move on to our, our our briefest Dante's Inferno segment yet. Here we go. can use it together i think i can be a professional basketball player all right guys i have uh very little for this almost nothing this is going to probably be more like a uh, dante's like pan fire he's just like cooking up uh some scallops <laughs> or whatever you know that kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. um so kyle do you have anything for a uh, dante's pan fire i i do um
0: on Wednesday, he played with the Wisconsin herd. That game was at like one o'clock. It was elementary school day, which begs me the question: well, shouldn't the kids have been at school? Like, what the hell's going on? Uh, that's <laughs> what is not the state advice. of
2: education, Wisconsin?
0: Damn. It. Well, I mean, it is the state of education, Wisconsin. Uh, no more comments on that. Uh, Moving on. Um, but he played thirteen minutes. Um, so, but he didn't even play that much. He didn't really shoot the ball well. he was three of seven from the field. Hit a couple free throws. Um, didn't really have much in terms of rebounds and assists had nine total points and was a minus 18 and the herd got crushed in that game. So yep. Just a ho hum, not a lot of Dante action and the herd losing, unfortunately again. So that's all I got sadly.
1: Riley, didn't you have something, you had something brief, right?
2: Uh, the only brief thing I have about Dante is, uh, he has replaced Rashad Vaughn as the (laughs) pregame dance guy. And, uh, so I'm not sure if that's the darkest timeline or maybe he'll break out of that. Uh th- the one thing that Dante has going for him is he appears at least per the broadcast to be paying attention during timeouts instead of meandering on the outside and staring <laughs> at the camera. So <laughs> I guess we probably should have seen that as a red flag for a shot and like every time out, he was just like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I miss that guy. No, uh, I don't really have much for Dante. Uh, I don't know. No. If you, if you think, uh I'm not sure if I will condemn his season. I think it's, again, probably more so we just have other guys who are playing better at the moment, and maybe he'll get a shot. But I'm not, like, super upset that he's not getting a lot of minutes. It's whatever. Um, he was a 17th pick. And uh, any, any like, comparisons between him and Herder in uh, Atlanta, I, I'm not so sure if, like, even Herder would get a lot of minutes just because I don't know how, you know, uh, Bud is with rookies. But, but Herder can shoot. So. Yeah, he uh well, and he's super pale, so he reminds me a lot of myself out there. So I have feelings like be <laughs> in that regard, but otherwise I, I don't know, I don't have strong feelings about Dante besides his dancing.
1: All right. Well, kindred spirits, Riley and Kevin Herder. All right, <laughs> let's look we'll ahead to the uh Bucks upcoming schedule. So Monday, January 21st, uh matinee game on MLK Day against Dallas, Friday, January 25th against the Charlotte Hornets, Sunday, January 27th against OKC. That's at OKC. That's the start of a five-game road trip for the Bucks. Um, that's not good. Tuesday, January 29th is at Detroit. Um, I, don't, is that, I hope that is that the last Detroit game of the year. I kind of hope it is. I don't really feel like I need to see Detroit anymore. Um, yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Thursday at Toronto. That should be a really good game. Hopefully Kawhi doesn't sit. Uh, Saturday, February 2nd, they are at Washington. Uh, get their revenge, and then Monday, February 4th at Brooklyn, they wrap up that five-game road trip. So, guys, what do you have as your predictions for those seven games?
2: Counting them up here, I would go one, two, three, four, five. I would go – jeez, I don't know, Kyle, do you have a strong feeling one way or the other? Otherwise, I would say five and two. I'll go five and two.
0: Six and one. Wow, and the one loss is going to be to brooklyn because i feel like brooklyn's going (laughs) to (laughs) be so all right um either brooklyn or OKC. it's going to be one of those they're beating toronto and then all those raptors fans (laughs) that were in my mentions will shut up and
1: never come back (laughs) uh all right well that's good for good for kyle Uh, i went (laughs) five and two same as riley uh I think they're gonna. I think they're just gonna take care of business here and and probably maybe lose at OKC in Toronto. I just think those are gonna be really tough road games. OKC gets super super loud. Um, you know they've had some issues defensively lately, but uh, uh, I think Paul Jar Paul George is Paul George uh, Paul George <laughs> Paul George. Sorry, I was, uh, sounds like there. a fullback for the bad. Music. I know, I know. It's up way too late last night. Um, all right. He uh I think he'll do some decent stuff. freaking fullback Paul George. Sounds like a Red Grange or whatever. Jesus. I'm <laughs> losing it. All right. All right. Paul George will do some stuff and then they'll they'll go 5 and 2. Riley, any extra comments? Uh
2: no, not really. I agree that Detroit, it feels like they're a team that we play about 30 times a season for whatever reason. Um and <laughs> I'm also I will also Is this the last Washington game of the year? Do we know? The last Wizards game, I should say, because any the fewer amount of times we have to have the direct Chris Middleton to Bradley Beal comparisons just for everybody's sanity. I think that would be better for everyone. So sooner we get done with those games, the better.
0: I, I think they still played the Wizards like two more times. Damn it. I don't know. Right. I feel
1: like they play them three or four times this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so they actually play them four days after that test, Saturday. No. Oh
2: no! It like we played them a lot more this season. Never
1: mind. Yeah, <laughs> Never so mind. play them four days later, and then uh, then that's the last one. But so then you'll okay. be rid of it. You'll be rid of it next uh, in a couple weeks.
2: Okay, uh, wonderful.
1: Cool. So Riley's national nightmare will be over. The Bucks hopefully will keep on winning. Uh, what you can do is subscribe to the Brew Hoop podcast on iTunes if you haven't already, or on your for podcast platform leave us a review we always really really appreciate it um, also make sure to follow uh, us on twitter at brew hoop that's the greatest spot to get kyle's fire tweets and then make sure to go hoop, go to brew we'll have a bunch of we've had some fun mid-season stuff go up uh, brian is pumping out some absolutely uh, amazing breakdowns of of the bucks in in various various ways uh, especially with his Brook lopez piece it was really good so make sure to stay tuned to brewhoop.com. And I'm Adam Harris signing off. Thanks again for listening. On the
2: streets of old Milwaukee Was a young boy walking